Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hi, folks. Be sure to visit my webpage at dr-history.com for over 440 true stories of the Old West. Also, now available on Amazon, my first book, a historical fiction based on true events entitled Coal Miner to Cowboy. The story of a young man born in England in 1850. He wants to be a cowboy and makes his way to America, travels from New Orleans to Independence on a steamboat, hires on as a teamster to Santa Fe, then on a cattle drive to Bozeman, Montana. He also rides shotgun on a stagecoach. He travels with a wagon train, and on his two-year journey, he meets some famous people and keeps a journal of his adventures. The book contains a lot of the true stories from my podcast and is now available on Amazon. Visit my webpage for a link to Amazon for the book, Coal Miner to Cowboy. Dr. History. So, Zeb, last week we talked about the printing presses, and we talked about how the typesetters had to be uh, really accurate to get yeah. the words right. What did you find out on that? Well, I got a, a an email from Austin, and he told me, you've heard the term, watch your P's and Q's. Yeah. That's where that came from. Because a P and a Q look a lot alike. You've got to be able to put a P where it's supposed to be and a Q where it's supposed to be. When that's where that terminology came yeah, from? Yeah, that's where that came from. Oh, yeah. see, so, there you go. Yeah, so... I'm going to continue with kind of the writers of the Old West. Okay, the authors. The authors, okay. the people that that helped settle the Old West. I have a question regarding that. I was watching a TV show the other night, and oh my gosh, I forgot his name all of a sudden. He went from being a lawman to being a journalist. Who? Which lawman was that? Oh, oh I forgot his name. I'm not sure. Oh my goodness sakes. But, and, th- but this is the, these are people from England. I'm going to talk about the English people that came over and and with their writing, actually encouraged the people back home, back in England, to come to America. Really? Yeah. So the first guy I'm going to talk about, okay, now pay attention, Zeb, to this name. Listen, my attention is paid. Go ahead. <laughs> You're going to have to repeat this name when I get done. All right. Wyndham Thomas Wyndham Quinn, the fourth Earl of Dunraven and Mount, and Mount, and Mount Earl. We'll just Can call, I just say Earl? We're just going to call him. We're just going to call him Dunraven. Okay? Earl the Raven. Earl of Dunraven. <laughs> okay, uh, Dunraven. So basically, had, he had no intention of becoming a Western writer when he arrived in Colorado in the summer of 1874. He was a 34 year old nobleman. He actually had 30,000 acres back in Ireland and Wales. 
that he owned. 30,000? So he was a wealthy guy. Wow. Um, and he had actually come to America to check on some tracts of land, ranch land that he had bought. Okay. So Dunraven was kind of an adventure, too. He set off on a wilderness excursion, and he said, I determined to pay a visit to the upper Yellowstone. He also planned to do some hunting. Now, uh, to travel in his accustomed style, he included a local guide, a frontiersman named Texas Jack, <laughs> his own English artist, uh, a newfangled camera. Newfangled. Yeah. His personal physician, his Scottish gun bearer, his all-purpose servant, and his collie named Tweed. You, you mean this guy, he had money. Oh, well, yeah. And he paid all these people. Oh, yeah. So he had an entourage. Yeah, and that's not the biggest. I'm going to tell you another one. By American standards, this was kind of an oversized party, so to speak. But, you know, and it was just going to pay attention to one guy. That was just to take care of him. So, but compared to some of the other entourages that several other European aristocrats brought with them to the West, Dunraven's group was actually somewhat modest. Two decades earlier, for example, Sir St. George Gore, and we did a story on him. I a long remember time ago. that, yeah. He brought, <laughs> he, he was a wealthy man too, obviously. So he brought along uh, to take care of his comforts on a three-year-long hunting expedition. He took along 40 employees. Oh, my goodness. 112 horses. Oh, my goodness. Three milk cows. <laughs> three milk cows. And enough champagne, as it says, to float a small boat. And a partridge in a pear tree. <laughs> Holy cow. So back to the Earl. This is true. Three milk yes. cows? Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm a milk drinker, Zeb. I, would I am want. too. But. Yeah. So, so the Earl of Dunraven spent several glorious weeks sightseeing and hunting in Yellowstone, which been, had been established as a national park just two years before. And he came upon Mount Washburn, which is a 10,243-foot peak, uh, kind of an easy climb. And he climbed it with uh, one of his guides. And it's interesting, he and his guide got to the top, of this granite summit, and it's actually the very crest of the Continental Divide. Really? When you're standing on top of there, on one side, the water's going to go one way, and on the other side, obviously, the water's going to go the other direction yeah. to the Gulf of Mexico. Okay. So, you know, he stood up there, and he was amazed. Hundreds of square miles of, you know, forest. You've been, we've been up there, Zeb. Yeah. The prairie, the lakes, the mountains. Beautiful. You know, it's just amazing. And looking down at the streams and the mm -hmm. rivers that are, you know, are going to go into the Missouri, the Colorado, the you Green River. You can really attest to God's handiwork. Yeah, the Snake River. Yep. I mean, just uh, amazing. So, so what he saw uh, kind of caused him to write a book uh, called The Great Divide. Uh -huh. So uh, he returned occasionally to the West, uh, and in 1877, he financed the building of a large English-style hotel, hotel near Long's Peak in Colorado. Does that sound familiar? Long's, Long's Peak. Peak. I'm not sure where that's I'm at. I'm not either. Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Is that over by Longmont, Colorado? Uh, it could be. But he built a hotel that was considered the absolute best in the region. A really nice English uh, hotel.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, so anyway, to heighten the pleasure of a Western journey, a lot of these foreign visitors wrote some kind of lively accounts of everything they did and saw on the way. They kept journals and they set down their impressions to letters uh, to friends back home in England and probably Germany. Can and you imagine what it was like sitting at the campfire at night going, cheerio, old chap, what did you do <laughs> yeah. today? What did you do today? <laughs> so they published these articles in books for the enlightenment of their less fortunate countrymen that were still back in Europe. Wow. Uh, and nothing was uh, did escape their detailed discussion. And I found this kind of funny. Uh, the weather, unpredictable. The natural resources, unlimited. The food and lodging, atrocious. <laughs> <laughs> what do you expect out in the wild? The clothing, picturesque but malodorous. <laughs> Uh, I like that. Chewing tobacco, unspeakable. Of the Westerners' universal addiction to chewing, one British visitor asked, quote, why does the Westerner spit? Uh-huh. It can't amuse him, and it doesn't interest his neighbors. Another Englishman admired the chewer's accurate volleys of tobacco juice, but admitted that, quote, when you are surrounded with shooters, you feel nervous. Did they have, they being those from jolly old England, didn't they have any vices of their own? Oh, I'm sure they did. But, you know, they're looking at the the Westerners, the Cowboys. Boy, the know. outlaw Josie Wales was able to spit right between oh, the dog's yeah. eyes. They wouldn't have liked that at all. Yeah, he was good. Now, the Western writer, the European writers wrote almost exclusively for writers in their own country. But these commentaries also inadvertently helped provide helpful information to the Americans that were also getting ready to head west. Well, who paid for these journeys? Well, these guys just paid for their own. But then they wrote about them. And so some of them made money on their books that they wrote about their journeys to the west. So now some of the earliest scientific studies of the West were made by a pioneering German, German naturalist by the name of Prince Maximilian and Duke Paul Wilhelm of Wittenberg. Uh, Paul Wilhelm made no less than eight surveys of Western flora and fauna between 1823 and 1851. Can you imagine, though, setting up a camp with these people that aren't used to the Western wilderness they must have been totally lost. Well, but remember, they had all these servants. They had these uh, uh, hired employees that were helping them. And, and I, I know they hired some Western people to kind of guide them through the West to know where to go for food and water, uh, things like that. So they obviously had some help. But anyway, by the time uh, the Earl of Dunraven's book appeared, virtually every country in Europe was sending travelers to the States because of what these people had wrote. Uh, written. Some of these visitors uh, made the trip a lot of times just to visit their relatives that had moved here. Hmm. Uh, Germans in Texas, Scandinavians in Nebraska, and some Eastern Europeans in Kansas and California. But the English, these were the main people. 
Um, uh, and the thing about this, they didn't have a language barrier. Yeah. You know, some of the other, you know, the Germans, the Scandinavians, they had a, a language barrier. So a lot of times they settled in their own communities, you know, so yeah. they could speak the language. So, but the British, they could go anywhere because they spoke English, obviously. Yeah. Pip, pip, cheerio. Yeah. So, but the first really good reports on the West from uh, British writers commenced about as early as 1820 wow. when merchants from the Hudson's Bay Company sent back encouraging descriptions of the Oregon country from their fur trading posts. And then came big game hunters. You know, they heard about this. They wanted to come out, uh, you know, and shoot deer and elk and yeah. buffalo. And uh, probably the first was a guy named Sir William Drummond Stewart. And I believe I did a story on him once a long time I ago. I think you too. did, yeah. Yeah. And in the 1830s, he traveled clear as far as the Rocky Mountains. Wow. And in 1849, hundreds of British uh, fortune seekers joined the gold rush to California, and they wrote home about how glorious and wonderful it was in the Sierra Nevada country, and uh, whether they struck it rich or not, you know, they wrote about it uh, back home. So, And that probably encouraged a lot of people to say, okay, I'm going to go see what I can find. Do you have pictures of what their camps look like? Uh, not really. Um, you know, if I did some research, I could probably find some. But can you imagine quite a few tents? I was going to say, taking it, putting it up and then taking it down yeah, and putting it on pack horses? Yeah. Holy cow. Yeah. So even in the 1850s, information remained actually still kind of spotty, and uh, popular English notions of the West were based largely and sometimes unreliably on the romantic novels of people like James Fenimore Cooper. Yeah. He was a New York gentleman, farmer, who had never gone any further west than Detroit. Oh, my. But he wrote about the West. Yeah. So what would-be British travelers needed most was a comprehensive report written from their own point of view and offering them enough hard detail and advice to permit sensible planning for journeys into the West. Did any of them uh, ever face Indian attacks or anything? Oh, uh, yeah, I'm sure they all did. Uh, my family uh, lived in in England. Now, and just a minute. Our family. Our family. Our family. Our family. Cousin. Lived, lived in England, <laughs> moved up to Wales, and then left out of Liverpool yeah. and came across. Well, uh, you came over with the Beatles. <laughs> with the Beatles. <laughs> And uh, so my ancestors were part of that big migration. Again, as you, keep say, you keep saying yours. Listen, man, share the family. <laughs> yours was the German side. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, uh, actually, no one did any more to satisfy these needs or to interest Englishmen in the West than a guy named Sir Richard Burton. Oh, Sir Elizabeth's Richard, husband. Sir Richard Burton the first. Oh, the first. The first. Okay. And he set out on a tour in the wilds in 1860, and he was actually uh, quite a celebrity. At age of 39, he'd fought in the Crimean War in India. He'd explored Africa. He'd uh, explored the Nile River. He'd, he'd been all over the world. Hmm. So he was kind of one of the first guys to really do a lot for promoting okay. people coming out west. So the starting point for uh, Burton's tour was the railhead of St. Joseph, Missouri, and there Sir Richard laid in supplies, and his included a pocket sex tent, two compasses for navigation, a thermometer, and, quote, cigars in extraordinary quantities. I see. <laughs> and, quote, for comfort, he said, 
There is nothing better than an old English tweed shooting jacket. And he added, let no false shame cause you to forget your hat box and your umbrella. Oh, my goodness. So you wouldn't want to go west without an umbrella. Jack. Well, I'd feel you know. naked without it. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's one of the first things you'd Sure. Take. Yeah. Well, you know, weapons, of course. Uh, Burton's arsenal consisted of two rifles, a couple of revolvers. He talked about the uses of these and other weapons. And he actually offered instruction back to his home people on the Western art of gunslinging. Oh, really? He became an expert, Uh, so to speak. Kind of a quick draw McGraw. Yeah, so I'm going to read his uh, what he said about the art of gunslinging. I can't wait. Okay, and this will be this will probably take the rest of our time. Quote, the revolver should be carried with its butt to the fore. And drawn, it should not be leveled as in target practice, but directed towards the object. By means of the right forefinger laid flat along the cylinder, whilst the medius draws the trigger. The instinctive consent between eye and hand, combined with a little practice, will soon enable the beginner to shoot correctly from the hip. Uh Uh-huh. All he has to do is to think that he is pointing at the mark and pull. (laughs) (laughs) You know, stop. You you said butt first on the pistol. Yeah. I read a story, and I I need you to verify this, that uh, a lot of people in the Old West that tried to wear the gun with the butt first, they ended up shooting themselves in the leg. Well, look at it. you got to turn the pistol over. Yeah, and and some of them did. Yeah. They did. But... um, Anyway, Sir Richard's lethal hardware was not intended merely for hunting game. He confessed, quote, the mundane desire of enjoying a little skirmishing with the savages. A little skirmishing. Tell that to Custer. You'll like this. (laughs) He had acquired letters of introduction to the commanders of several military districts, incorrectly assuming that these officers were under constant siege by one or another Indian tribe, and they would be really grateful for the help of a genuine British soldier. Really? <laughs> the, the naive attitude they had. It, it was, you know, it makes me wonder if after being here, then they realized, okay, yeah. it's not quite what we thought. Amen. Yeah.